0: today's movie because pandemics are in the news. This is a history show with 120-sided dice that picks our movies for the main feed, and we almost never have an opportunity to be topical. At the center of the film is a team of doctor soldiers at U.S. Amrid, a real army outfit the DOD maintains to fight infectious disease. Of course, in the history of warfare, disease has played an outsized role. The invasion and colonization of the Western Hemisphere was particularly lethal to the local population because of the exotic diseases the Europeans brought with them. The trenches in World War I were notorious hotbeds of disease. Almost half a million of the soldiers who died in the Civil War died of things like pneumonia, typhoid, dysentery, and malaria. They called it the Third Army. And if you think that's nuts, in the Napoleonic Wars, eight times as many Brits died from disease as died from wounds. I guess what I'm trying to say is that white people are bringers of disease and death and they must be stopped. More contemporarily, this remains a problem. New zoonotic diseases are finding their way into human populations because as the global south and China's economies expand, they're building in previously pristine wildernesses, bringing humans into contact with local wildlife. The news of the day is about the novel coronavirus, but previously bird flu, SARS, Ebola, and hemorrhagic fever have claimed a lot of lives and grabbed a lot of headlines. It would be comforting to think U.S. Amrid is there to stop these pandemics before they start, but this film paints a picture of its leadership being another corrupt wing of the military-industrial complex and more interested in isolating highly lethal pathogens for their potential bio-warfare applications. The movie is a little uneven and maybe preoccupied with the wrong stuff, but it's a really interesting thought experiment, especially now, about what we would tolerate politically to stop a terrible disease from spreading. As I record this, it appears that China's fairly draconian effort to contain the coronavirus to Wuhan has failed, with new cases popping up in Italy, Iran, and several East Asian countries. In today's film, an American town is cordoned off, which is amazing to contemplate. More amazing still is the idea that the entire town could be firebombed unless Dustin Hoffman can convince cooler heads to prevail. Here's hoping this film stays a work of fiction. If one of them have it, then ten of them will have it, and if one of them leaves Cedar Creek, then we're in deep fucking shit. We're already in deep fucking shit. Today on Friendly Fire, Wolfgang Petersen's 1995 thriller, Outbreak. Welcome to Friendly Fire, the war movie podcast that's about to get famous with our hit viral video. Sam Daniels back at it again with the Mataba virus. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. What an intro. <laughs> I'm John Roderick. <laughs> Sam Daniels. Sam. We picked this movie because of the coronavirus. It's a, it's a movie. It's a movie about
1: the war on zoonotic infections. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an awful stretch watching this whole watching this movie i was so mad at you guys this this may be an extremely poor taste that we, that we
0: did this
2: the survivors are going to need entertainment and we're That's here to true. provide
0: wolfgang peterson just a just a few years after his hit
1: film dust boat
2: yeah they gave him an open world film project good for him <laughs> it's so tonally different and, yeah. and also very tonally of its time. It is so nineteen ninety five feeling, and I was wondering why it felt exactly like the fugitive. Did you get fugitive vibes from this movie like I did? Oh yeah, I guess. I, I mean I,
0: I didn't I didn't think of that. Uh, until you said it, but uh, it does feel very fugitive-y.
2: The vibes were so strong that I actually looked into both credits for the film, and the reason it felt that way to me, it was confirmed, is that the uh, the score is made by the same guy. Oh. Oh. Adam Pranica. Yeah.
1: Dropping some filmmaking science. did some science.
2: digging. James Newton Howard was the uh, composer, I should say. Yeah. Uh,
1: it- it was a drama. It's not, there's nothing funny about it. It's not a dramedy. It's not, there, Um. it's just a straight up drama. And yet we're asked to experience these characters as lighthearted. Dustin Hoffman talks to his dogs and his dogs are fun. And, and uh, Kevin Spacey is, fun. you know, there, there's like all this, Um. there's all this irreverent kind of snark that's. That's supposed to draw us into the story and supposed to make us feel like these are relatable people.
0: Would it surprise you to learn that Harrison Ford was the person that they wrote the character of Sam Daniels for?
2: Oh, I, I see, could see that.
1: I could see that 100%. Yeah. yeah.
2: You're on to something, John, with the relationship between Renee Russo and Dustin Hoffman. I feel like you could have a pretty entertaining film if you took the outbreak part of the story out completely and just made it about the disillusion of their marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I would totally watch that movie. It's a, it's a rom com,
1: but among like uh, infectious disease specialists.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder to what extent this movie inspired TV. Shows uh, like Grey's Anatomy, you know, like they're they're on again, off again relationships surrounded by people who are dead or dying. It
1: feels very TV in a way or a, they're 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 absolutely part of the same. They share DNA. Yeah. But I but th- throughout the whole start of the film, I, we, I, I don't think movies do that anymore. Like like medical dramas or if we, if there was a coronavirus movie being made today. We, there wouldn't be like a charming divorce in the center of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. The Matt Damon outbreak movie did not have that, that B story. Did it? Yeah. The, the wife dies right at the beginning of that one. And it's
1: really all her yeah. fault. Cause she eats the bad pork. See, that's yeah. how, that's how it should have gone. There weren't <laughs> enough wives dying in this movie, but I mean, did you guys find, did you find that, that, uh, that element did it bring you into the movie, or did it did it take you out of it? I mean, I think it's it like to me, it like feels like a
0: byproduct of a like an era of Hollywood where they're saying like how do we how do we make a a big movie about like uh you know that's like loosely based on a New Yorker article about people that uh, deal with infectious diseases at this level. And and then like bring in four quadrants of audience because we're going to spend millions of dollars making this thing. And um, and like I was reading the Wikipedia article about this and clicked on a link and found myself reading like like within one or two links reading about like uh, romance novels that are set in high stakes medical environments so right it must it, it must have just been like a here's how we do it like dads are going to want to see this movie because they're dropping daisy cutters on uh, civilian populations in northern california <laughs> but how are moms going to be brought into the theater
1: <laughs> and in that in that way it's a it's a holdover or like maybe a last gasp of that that hollywood idea that women aren't going to go to see a thriller unless there's a romance at the heart of it.
0: Right. And also, like, they couldn't quite get to Rene Russo being the star of the film. Like, you know, like <laughs> right. she, she couldn't be the uh, the intrepid army doctor. She had to be quitting the army to go to the CDC and sideline
1: for most of the movie. Well, and then I mean, that's that's one of the that that's where the subplot gets so kind of annoying because. Because it's the classic version of like, this marriage is over. She really, at the beginning of the movie, shows no... She gives no indication that she is interested in ever seeing Dustin Hoffman again. She's not. Yeah. Char- she's not charmed <laughs> by him. She doesn't love him anymore.
2: When you look at them through the through a modern lens, you're like, Jesus, get a grip, Dustin Hoffman. Like it's over. I, I feel bad for Rene Russo. I don't feel bad for Dustin Hoffman in this movie. No,
1: he is pathetic. And then his pathos starts to get
2: gross.
1: And then you realize, like, he's a controlling and gross. And I'm not even saying this as like a like as a woke me tour it's just he's just gross (laughs) it just sucks i wouldn't want to be in a relationship with him
2: i feel like the dogs were in better hands with Rene russo i told you when we got together baby (laughs) that you were gonna have to
0: share me with every hemorrhagic fever
1: (laughs) (laughs) but then the movie has that terrible you know that terrible arc at its core where somehow we are meant to believe that Rene russo falls back in love with him by watching him be so competent and heroic.
0: Well, and there's the grand romantic gesture of taking the helmet off. Right. Yeah. like,
2: <laughs> he virally Romeo and Juliet's at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but he only does it when he's pretty sure that they've got a cure. Like, it's not that romantic, right?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because throughout the whole film, every time somebody catches it, I mean, there's so much just bald face lying to people in this movie you know they get they get a sniffle their eyes get purple and there's always someone at their bedside going you're fine it's we've got a cure right here you're going to be fine <laughs> and so you know he's he's trying to tell her that like oh it's you know we finally got the cure and she's like oh man you're going to you're going to you're going to lie right to my face <laughs> no no check it out baby i'll take my helmet off
2: Poor Salt has to get into the helicopter after that scene with Daniels and they're not wearing the suits anymore. So, you know, he's a true believer in what the Hoffman character is saying, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Although the, the, the virulence of that bug goes from don't worry about it to now it's transmitted, you know, through the air. And then all of a sudden, like toward the end of the film, it seems like if you look at somebody that has it, you're going to get it.
0: It is so lucky that Patrick Dempsey didn't have the airborne version of the disease, right?
1: Oh, right, right. He could have everybody on that airplane, and then it would have been then it would have been an insane epidemic immediately.
0: Yeah, like that whole airplane scene is meant to make you think that that's what's going to happen, and feel like you're on the knife edge. Like, is the little boy going to eat the rest of his cookie, and there, thereby, you know. You know, get the virus into his school, and then everybody in the continental United States is exposed in in two easy steps. I it felt a little bit like Needle Peggy that a guy that that obviously sick would not be like, "Oh, little boy, don't eat my cookie." I am <laughs> I am suffering from a very serious ailment, and then he gets off the plane, and his girlfriend just
2: like, "What lady is making out with a guy that looks like that?" <laughs> Can you imagine? I've gotten off of a plane before totally healthy most times, and my wife refuses me that hard (laughs) when we see each other. So, yeah, that's my moment of pedantry right there. Oh, baby, your
1: tongue is swollen to twice its normal size. Stick it in my (laughs) mouth.
0: Here, I'll take some of the load of that from you. (laughs)
1: Well, but the thing that you're saying, Ben, that the 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 turn of that plot point is again the sort that that's, I guess, the the most um, screenwritery aspect of this film. It wasn't enough that there be a killer pathogen; yeah, there needed also to be an army conspiracy, and the army conspiracy is extremely. Um, I mean, it's not convoluted, but. It, it's both at the heart of the film, and it's also not really dwelled upon. We're not shown how the conspiracy goes any higher up than Donald Sutherland. I mean, it's a it's an inter- an interesting premise, but it's never really explored for its dramatic potential. It just becomes a quality that like one psycho general is bringing to the thing. <laughs> but it re- but it requires that we that the monkey be given two strains of the virus and it requires that the, you know, like uh, all of these hoops have to be jumped through in order to maintain that.
0: I happened to listen to an episode of Terry Gross uh, like right before watching this where a guy was talking about the coronavirus and like how how these diseases work and one of the things I learned was that the like if it if it's coming from an, another species that's called the reservoir species and and a lot of the time it actually is bats that the diseases are developing in because there's something about the way a bats immune system works that uh, causes viruses to like try a lot of attacks with through, you know, through rapid iteration of their of their genetics. So like a bat can have like a lot of versions of a thing. And so I, I'm not sure if that's true for primates as well, but that uh, that seemed to to compare favorably to like, you know, something that a, a journalist that has actually like studied this stuff was saying on NPR. So, I mean, like there's like, and, and also like the, you know, the fact that this disease comes into play because they're, you know, ripping down trees in otherwise virgin uh forests in Zaire is actually like kind of kind of why all these diseases are 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 popping up now because like china is industrializing and like starting to you know build into wilderness that just didn't have like a lot of human interaction previously
2: this this movie really refuses to lean into that as a as the cause of this entire thing, yeah. it briefly suggests it and moves on so quickly. It actually was a good reminder that you just gave us about how this whole thing started, because I was, <laughs> I was ready to forget that entirely. Yeah, I mean, like the witch doctor is actually right. You know, like it's a
0: punishment from the gods because we cut down the trees.
1: <laughs> Mister Motaba, up close and personal. Uh, the Ebola virus was was at its peak um newsworthiness right when this movie came out and and there was a component of that 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 um involved like consuming bush meat uh that people that, that there was this deforestation happening but also people were eating primates and other critters and it, and, and i'm wondering whether that whether the idea that bush meat is behind epidemics is just some kind of newspaper hyperventilating or whether that actually is common enough that it plays a larger role.
0: Yeah, I mean like they've had to they've shut down a lot of the markets that sell that stuff in China as a response to like SARS and stuff. So uh it does it's, it's not an element of this movie, but I think it is like a, a legitimate concern.
2: There's an expediency with how this film tells that story that makes it seem as though the consumption of bushmeat would be far slower than maybe a series of scenes where a guy sticks his hand into a blood centrifuge or a pet store owner gets scratched. Like, these things happen so fast that I almost feel like to introduce a kind of slower style of viral consumption would would slow the pace down in a way they chose not to.
0: Yeah, this is a very breathlessly paced movie.
1: In order to make the virus exciting yeah it needs to kill you in 24 hours or 36 hours because we're because we want to watch all of these people get sick so fast and die so fast (laughs) but in order for in order for that to be possible we need to introduce the element of a monkey a cute monkey that somehow gets released in california (laughs) you know like like the like, the monkey and the blood centrifuge, like, those were all such, such stretches. That's not, a, for, for those listening, that's not how viruses are spread. It's not that blood centrifuges explode.
2: Where is the toilet seat scene in this film?
1: Oh, I know. Someone licking a toilet seat? Very common yeah. in Central California.
0: A yeah. <laughs> bunch of toilet lickers. As a Northern Californian,
1: that's my birthright. <laughs> this is Northern California, that's right, not, not Central.
0: I actually have a, a moment of pedantry about some of the geography in this film. This is a, this is a real journey, so, uh, so strap yourselves in. The H-6 only has a range of 276 miles. This is the helicopter that they're flying around in. Looking at the direction, as Daniels and Salt are flying the helicopter along the coastline, it is clear that they are flying south from Cedar Creek to San Francisco. Now, there are five Cedar Creeks north of San Francisco. The closest is located 180 miles northeast of San Francisco. This Cedar Creek is far from the coast, though. The Cedar Creek that is closest to the coast is a whopping 323 miles away. So the flight to SFO and back, plus standing in the air against the plane, would never... Have worked without refueling. All of the Cedar Creeks are real creeks anyway, and uninhabited. When preparing <laughs> for the way back to Cedar Creek, Daniel mentions a town called Palisades between San Francisco and Cedar Creek. There is no such town. So <laughs> this pedant came reef. right up to the point of realizing that Cedar Creek was
2: also a fictional town, but didn't <laughs> Was the part that made it fictional was that it was whites only? <laughs> I don't want to oversell your pork chop here, Ben, but my film paper is going to be about the troubling racist subtext of this movie, which is basically an African virus infects a white town and then is covered up by a black general.
0: I think you will find that the towns in Northern California are surprisingly homogenous culturally. There's a whole like secessionist movement up there where they want to like make their own state because they're, you know, they don't want to they don't want to be susceptible to the to the big city
1: elites.
2: Yeah, but outbreak didn't have to do that and it did.
1: To to learn more, listen to the omnibus episode, Jefferson State. Oh. I will know, listen to about that. The, about, about the North, northern California secessionist movement. I was just surprised that any town that size in that part of California would be uh, comprised of 80% weed growers, <laughs> <laughs> especially at that, at that at 1995, all those yeah. people would have been growing and selling weed.
0: I mean, those guys that like tried to tried to escape in their in their lifted pickup trucks kind of looks like that's were, probably what they did for a living. Right.
1: <laughs> they were weed growers for sure.
0: Um, it doesn't feel to me like this movie is, is pointing a finger at Africa or Africans. Um, And it's like a little bit, I think, a little bit uh, weirdly just nihilistic about that. Given that this is a species of monkey that lives in like Central
1: America, not Africa. (laughs) So, oh, I I was sure that was going to be your moment of pedantry. Yeah, that the that the white faced capuchin monkey is from Central America, and the whole movie hinges on the idea that this is an African monkey. (laughs) What the, what
2: the what (laughs) what? (laughs) <laughs> An African monkey isn't going to be camera ready in the way that this little guy is. Uh, this is the same monkey
0: that was uh, Ross's uh, pet on Friends. It's the same monkey. It looks exactly... Is it the actual same monkey? It's the actual same Hollywood monkey.
2: Uh, where can we find the monkey?
0: Wow. <laughs> this is a
1: big monkey.
0: Yeah. This is this is like one of the most famous monkeys in the game. I feel like you could just as easily make a a... Story about a monkey from Central America, though. Like, I don't see why it has to come from Africa. I guess the like, the setting of that uh, of of it in Zaire and the Kisangani mutinies is like interesting, but the movie doesn't tell you what what that is. It just it no. kind of it's kind of it's kind of Valverde in a way. Like, it's just like yeah, there's a mercenary camp and some some predator style fighting is happening
2: Moving target, on target, on target.
0: Uh, but you don't need to you don't need to concern yourselves with that
1: yeah we're uh we're we're for sure asked to know an awful lot about the political situation in zaire and the congo uh and just like <laughs> just go oh yeah sure of course those are like zimbabwean you know those uh, there's a uh, there's like four rhodesians and an american and like it (laughs) and 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 uh, that all goes away right um you we never revisit it because we need to spend we need to spend that extra time in this movie like having hilarious walk and talks with dustin hoffman about the state of his marriage <laughs> you know bonobos bonobos live in uh live in zaire yeah 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 that what why not a bonobo they're adorbs
0: yeah it would have been it would have been really really cute to see a a, a chimp jack itself off for <laughs> every shot of the movie that it's in
1: <laughs> i i do say i do have to say though that a bonobo looks enough like a white-faced capuchin monkey that I think they thought they could get away with it. Really,
0: you think you think that this is? They're just swapping a monkey in in place of a of
1: a of a bonobo. I think so. I think I think they looked at a bonobo, and then somebody was watching Friends, and they were like, "Yeah, but Ross's monkey is such huh. a hot monkey." I think you're an ape racist. <laughs> These monkeys. It wasn't me. I'm talking about. I'm talking about endemic ape racism in Hollywood.
0: Like, there's been a ton of racist subtext in the reporting about the coronavirus about about China too. So it's like a very familiar phenomenon um that it's just like yeah who cares what the difference is between all of the people outside of the United States. We don't like them.
1: If you Adam if you google cutest monkey well <laughs> I hope hope you don't have anything else to do today cause I mean curious
2: George cute. is the top hit on that search so I don't know what I'm supposed to learn from that.
1: Not on my image search, but maybe my image search is... The algorithm is thinking something else because of all the monkey porn I look at.
2: Look at all these cute monkeys. They, They don't look like they'd scratch you or spit in your eye, get you sick. They would never do that.
1: There was for sure in the middle of this movie, a movie that I wanted to watch. Yeah. Like somewhere in this movie halfway through i was like i'm
2: along for the ride like was yours about jimbo scott because that's what mine was (laughs) give me outbreak the jimbo scott story totally remove the divorce story between Hoffman and russo but you love patrick dempsey no i just like this character in this
1: yeah i mean we have the old trope here of like the colonel that goes his own way the colonel that doesn't follow the rules yeah Uh i'm not a a vet so i can't speak like authoritatively well i mean it's not doesn't stop me normally (laughs) to speak authoritatively about military culture but how many colonels are there first of all not that many and how many of them are rogues who go their own way like it's absolutely antithetical to the way that People get promoted to Colonel, I think, generally. Right. There are in history some people that got promoted to full bird colonel who were rebels and renegades. And every one of them, you know, it feels like they got promoted to colonel because they had to be promoted to colonel for some reason. You know, they were famous or something.
0: Is this like partly the the mash thing, though, where like the doctors have a slightly different relationship with the power structure of the military than the rank and file?
1: I think that's what we're being asked to understand that because he's a, because he's some kind of genius scientist, he gets a, he gets a free pass. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, his genius is never really established either. Like the science that they're doing around these bugs, the science is all being done by his, by the officers working for him. Yeah. He's
0: like, make an antiserum
1: go. (laughs) Right. Right. All we get from his character is that he, uh, he keeps, you know, he's the guy that keeps pushing that never says no, that doesn't, that doesn't care yeah. about protocol. But we don't see why he's, what's his, what, where's the Dustin Hoffman backstory where he was, was the smarty pants at some point?
0: The Cuba Gooding Jr. character has an amazing skill set. Like he's an amazing helicopter pilot. He's a marksman. He can synthesize monkey DNA. Like, he he could really do it all.
1: (laughs) His 80 hours of of helicopter instruction made him the best helicopter pilot in the army. Yeah. Which is a (laughs) a credit to his skills. I think that the Dustin Hoffman character is a hell of a combination. Like,
0: they talk about his morbid desire to face the end of the world. And and I feel like that's something we've seen in a lot of uh, army kind of characters, but The fact that he's a doctor and the end of the world for him is an infectious disease is like a, it's like an interesting reuse of an old trope.
1: We're four or five years past the dissolution of the Soviet Union. There is no more enemy. Islamic terrorism isn't yet on anybody's radar. Like this is precisely the five to seven year period in American history where we didn't have a monolithic enemy. It, it wasn't clear to us like what the army was supposed to be doing. Even it's the middle of the Clinton administration. This was, a, this was like a, like the kind of the low part of the trough yeah. for all this kind of movie. If you look at the James Bond movies made during this period, what is this like Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brosnan or something? This, this Pierce Brosnan era. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody even knows how to make James Bond movies because who's the enemy? <laughs> global bankers or something i wonder how like i wonder
0: if they had the military support for all those all the all the equipment and stuff because like it's not it's it does kind of make the military seem like it has like sinister designs on on using this you know like like the idea that the military would have some some high play highly placed generals in it that were Secretly developing and and maintaining a supply of biological weapons It's not something that I see like the Department of the De- of Defense being enthusiastic about getting the word out on, you know. <laughs> yeah, give the give these guys fifty Humvees and some helicopters.
1: Well, that was the craziest thing about it that uh, this movie has more hardware than maybe any war movie we've seen made after the period when you didn't have when they couldn't actually lay hands on a battleship yeah like we see so many movies where it's clear that they only have three helicopters and they keep cycling the three helicopters over and over you know now they're coming in from the right. Now they're coming in from the left. It's the same three helicopters. We
2: already reviewed Rambo 3, John. We don't need to keep <laughs> oh,
0: shit. arguing this has, that movie. This is the second Porkchop episode in a row that has a helicopter playing chicken scene.
1: Yeah, that was very popular in the 90s, helicopter chicken. Caused a lot of deaths in in the Midwest. <laughs> but But there are scenes, and I don't know if it's, uh, this is sort of pre cgi i couldn't tell how much special effects um
0: there's like one cgi shot where they go like through the through the ventilation system in the county health department oh, right. and it's
1: like right. incredibly bad and obvious right it looks like a it looks like zaxxon or something <laughs> yeah. but 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 there's a there's a scene in that town where we look up and there are at least 15 helicopters maybe more all in one shot
0: yeah there's hundreds and hundreds of extras in some of these shots, too. Like, it's it's a big, like, the scale of the film is as big as it gets,
1: basically. Although they didn't spend any money on their poster design. <laughs> <laughs> the poster for this yeah. film has got to be the worst movie poster I've ever seen in my life.
2: It's weird. Forrest Gump came out a year before this, and those are all CGI Hueys. All the real ones were were busy shooting Outbreak just a year later. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what you get with Wolfgang Peterson. You know, he's going to get the real Hueys.
1: Yeah. But as far as the movie that I wanted to see that was at the center of this movie
2: by the by the final act
1: of this movie, that movie, the one I wanted to see was gone which was this super basic movie this is like it it became such a pumpkin spice latte in the last 20 minutes where donald sutherland becomes like a like crazy bad guy morgan freeman gets somewhat redeemed there's a lot of there's a lot of people coming into offices and telling people to arrest other people and then they go out of the office and they aren't Somehow no one was able to arrest them. Yeah. There's the there's the <laughs> there's the, the, the that thing that happens in movies where on one side of what's basically a split screen, we're counting down like there's only 20 seconds to go before the bomb goes off. And in the other side of the split screen, like people are sitting in a in a living room in a house 300 miles away, having tea, waiting for a monkey to come out of the woods And it's like, wait a minute, if if that plane's already in the air, if the plane with the bomb is already in the air and you guys are looking for a looking for a monkey to refine its blood to make a serum. This is the like it was just there was so much time warping happening in order to fit all the cliches into one like Oreo package. I really fell out the bottom of this film. I'm sorry to hear that, John. Oh, were were you (laughs) hoping that I would stay inside the film all the way to the end?
0: Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. These are not statistics, ladies and gentlemen. There's that one scene with J.T. Walsh as like, I I think he's probably supposed to be like the White House chief of staff or something. And he's just haranguing a room full of generals and bureaucrats about we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with the president as he orders this like slightly subnuclear attack on cedar creek california and like that scene is bracing and jt walsh is incredible in it but it feels like utterly random like it's like who are these Ray. people we've never met any of them suddenly jt walsh is given two and a half minutes to just like be completely you know 10 out of 10 about the political situation here, but like we never call back to that.
2: That's a scene and a group of characters that a modern film would would know better what to do with. Like yeah. we would be going back to them constantly,
0: right? Because it is an interesting decision, right? Like the like if Donald Sutherland is is where the buck stops with this, you know, using a virus as a weapon plan like he is tricking the most powerful people in the country into like doing something to preserve this secret program he's running and that that's an interesting story to tell or it would be an interesting story to tell if they were in on it and they're like yeah we do like want to have the mataba virus as something that we can uh deploy as a surprise against a against an enemy so we might have to we might have to do the fuel air bomb trick to to cover our own asses on that and that would be an interesting story to tell, but this movie tells neither of those.
2: I was thinking a lot about why we never saw the president in this film. Yeah, uh, in a way that you you tend to see him in a film like The Rock, which tells a very similar story about uh, a biohazard or a bioweapon and involves the president.
1: Bill Paxton must have been doing something else that
2: week. A <laughs> lot, like, and I and I finally decided that the reason that we don't see the president in this film is because you're supposed to be so far removed from the people making the decisions, right? Like when it's finally helicopter against airplane, you need it to be for, you need it to be information that's third hand. Right. But this is also
0: the era where like it doesn't matter who the president is, it's an honorable person, so that's going to mean something to every character. That is is being told, like the president ordered this directly. Whether they're pro or anti, this is
2: what I'm thinking, Ben. We need to go back in George Lucas every film that features a U.S. president in it <laughs> and make sure that they are depicted as a reasonable, smart person, so we don't just make assumptions.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> it changes the story of every movie.
0: Yeah, it, it really does.
2: the 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 key to that, I think, and and that's the
1: interesting movie that I wanted to see. Right. The the idea that they were going to that the virus was going to be out of control and the only solution would be to nuke an American town or firebomb it and what the repercussions of that would be like. And and, and that that is all just sort of compressed into that that uh, conference room. But like that's fascinating. But we never once in watching this movie believed that they're actually going to firebomb that town. And Dustin Hoffman is a character with unimpeachable integrity, despite being a terrible husband and an unlikable and probably a bad lover, he's never we're never and gonna And a bad boss, too. A bad Would boss. you want to work
2: for a guy like him? And he no and
1: way. this part this part clearly written for Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford's never gonna <laughs> let never gonna let a uh, a town get bombed. But like that's the interesting movie. Mm. But the fact that this movie, this this biological uh Infection movie comes down to a scene where it's a helicopter standoff with a with a C123 <laughs> like the like the most absolutely the most implausible action movie sequence you will ever see and the action's not even that exciting and he's on a he's on like an open channel imploring the pilots to listen you know some just random guy random voice comes over their radio and is like i've got a different idea and the the general's like follow your orders and these 23 year old pilots are like huh well geez you know maybe we'll maybe we'll we're persuadable like that's also go it's just garbage (laughs)
2: <laughs> he applies an emotional component to that conversation that is totally unnecessary too like he buries the lead if you're trying to get through to someone who is acting under orders he says he says five minutes into his conversation that if you bomb the town you destroy the serum that's what you start with yes. why are you appealing to their sense of humanity like yes. speak practically about this and that's what he didn't do Like that, that drove me crazy
1: and I and that's that. It's the same voice, the same screenwriter voice that still believes in this movie, or that that is projecting the idea that like all these people are honorable. There's only one person in the movie that's not honorable. Maybe Morgan Freeman, you know, is just following orders. But like all of these people are going to be persuaded by by reason. And I I just I found like by that point in the movie the. I had been through four or five pretty interesting plots. And at each point along the way, whoever it was that was carrying the briefcase with the interesting plot in it, left <laughs> that briefcase in a, in a men's room in an airport, and picked up, picked up a different, a, a briefcase that looked just like that, except with a less interesting plot.
2: Move it or lose it, sister. Um, and
1: by the time we get to the helicopter showdown, all this cloak and dagger to get this screenplay. <laughs> I know. And then, and inside the briefcase at the end is like a is like a plot written in crayon where it's like helicopter, airplane. Your girlfriend is dying. Yeah. There's a huge amount of helicopter
0: excitement at the end of this movie that you just do not see coming.
1: I felt like I'd been left behind. You know, there's a lot of red dawn in the way that town is you know, when the, when, the, when it zoomed out from that playing field where they had all the tents and the barbed wire around it, yeah. I heard a voice go,
2: AVENGE ME! <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I think what I'm hearing you say is is something that we talk about a lot on this show, which is how much more frustrating it is when a movie comes close to being satisfying in all these ways and chooses for whatever reason not to be. Like I, I almost feel like we enjoy films that are worse in more ways than this one. And it's, it's many frustrations that makes Outbreak something that we're disliking so much. Like, it, it had it right there in a lot of areas.
1: It really did, and particularly it resonated with me because, of, because it feels ripped from the headlines. Like, these are real anxieties. All that stuff, airplanes and people sneezing in movie theaters, like, that was all so so good if not if not if not portrayed like with true cinema greatness at least really good ideas i don't like following particles of snot through the air into someone else's (laughs) mouth i didn't need like if somebody sneezes in a movie theater i get it right i don't have to follow the actual fucking spooge
2: I was just at a show where I could hear where I could feel the person behind me cough into my hair mm. and <laughs> oh, it fucking no. sucked.
1: Oh no. <laughs> wow.
2: but so like, I shaved my head.
1: But all of that was cool. It's just there was all this there was all this 90s DNA that I wanted out of the movie. Like for instance I wanted Renee Russo who when I first saw her I, I always think of her as like oh here she is like she's She's here to make Jack Nicholson look like he could still date younger women. (laughs) But but then, you know, she's got this very compelling situation. She's working for the CDC. The army shouldn't even be doing this stuff. uh, Three quarters of it, you know, like if she had a stronger role, if she had taken over, if she and Dustin Hoffman were actually butting heads, you know, she just like laid down basically in this film and ended up. Ended up in a in a posture where she was working for him. The the beginning of the movie sets up a power dynamic, a structure where it's civilians and army. You know the the two characters have the same rank, but this is happening in a this is happening in the United States. It would have been driven by the C- CDC.
2: That's such an interesting movie. That's the siege, right? Like that's the story that that movie told. That conflict mm. between civilian and military. And and if you excise the personal from this, I think you get a little bit closer to that.
0: And you like wonder whether what, what René Rousseau's true allegiance is because you know that she's yeah. like had dalliances with the monkey
1: before. Right. Right. <laughs> dalliances. But, you know, that makes the whole army plot more interesting, right? Because then the army guys are withholding information from the CDC. Yep. And so it's not just this dumb dynamic between Morgan Freeman and Dustin Hoffman where there's a real question. Why doesn't Dustin Hoffman? Why isn't he read in to this dossier like Morgan Freeman and Dustin Hoffman are exactly the same age. They were both born in 1937. I think Donald Sutherland is a little bit older. Dale Dye is a little bit younger. I have to say for the record that Dale Dye again, doing the Dale Dye that we all yeah. ask of him.
2: Uh, yeah, but ex- he's acting against type and, and all that shit he's eating out of Donald Sutherland's butt. He eats a lot of <laughs> shit, but you know you know what? <laughs> right he out is, of his butt,
0: too. That's really you hate to see it.
2: <laughs> I don't like seeing that. He's like, expend all remaining shit on my face, <laughs> Donald Sutherland.
1: He is Dale Dye is exactly the age that I am now during the filming of this movie. Wow. And and I really you know, I watched him and I was like, Wow, okay. In 1995, if you had fought in Vietnam, in early, early Vietnam, you would be as old as Dale Dye. And so Dustin Hoffman, if he was a colonel in the army, would have been in the army during the whole Zaire outbreak bombing thingamabob that establishes Mm. the characters at the beginning. He would have been working in the infectious diseases like he's. This is all, there's a, there's a, there's a a giant freezer room full of these antibodies and Dustin Hoffman was just like never
2: read into that
1: file. Like the whole point of his branch of the army medical
2: corps is to do just this. Where was he? And also the truth of his character is his, is his essential curiosity. Like he would not have let that go in Zaire. He would have known about the freezer and the antibodies then. But he
0: wasn't, we don't, we don't ever see him in Zaire. We know that, uh, we know that Donnie and Billy went, went to Zaire.
1: Yeah, when Donnie and Billy went to Zaire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that they cover Donald Sutherland. Like, they don't need to de-age Donald Sutherland. They just put him in the bio suit. Yeah. But no biohazard mask can obscure Donald <clears throat> Sutherland's voice. Like, no, it's just obviously him. It's great.
1: That's where the script feels written by committee, in a yeah. movie that no one person would have written.
2: the uh, The script is being broken in a room where everyone's calling each other baby.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Here's to feeling good all the time.
1: No one scriptwriter would have left the cool movie on the table and replaced it with this five, like parts of five different movies, and only two of them are good
2: well i mean this film fucking crushed it at the box office 50 million dollar budget almost 200 million dollar box office like where? what are we talking about here like that room made a success that's right baby all those women who are like i don't want to go see this
1: disease army movie oh but there's a romance with dustin
2: hoffman at the core a hazmat ripper that Kevin Spacey guy should be in more movies. <laughs> yeah. He's not creepy at all.
0: He, the the hair on Kevin Spacey in this movie is like is so weird and and like of its time.
1: <laughs> Why did they make him strawberry blonde? What could be gained? I don't know.
0: Um I mean like one thing I I really like about this movie is the idea of like a crack team of uh, epidemiological scientists that you get here like like I would uh I would have loved to see them set this up as just like a, a team that they'll they'll put in a series of films you know like mm. like um kind of like Tommy Lee Jones's team that came back from uh, the the fugitive and uh and did US marshals it's like the same like we love we love watching these guys do what they do like, you guys are really bagging on some some fair points about places this movie fails, but, like, I'm super into just any hazmat suit-based content. Like, I, I will watch all of it. Like, if there's a guy in a suit like this, I'm there for it.
1: Period. Well, let, and let me say, those are great hazmat suits. They are. Three quarters of the way through it. I mean, because the, cause they're really derived from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Mm. Uh, very similar, like, space suits, but... but You know, I'm not somebody that wants to be zipped into a suit.
2: There is a thing that happens a couple of times in this movie where either the Hoffman character or the Russo character gently touches the mask of the other in a in an affectionate way. And I think one of the magical parts of this movie is how those scenes are not dumb. Like you would I think ordinarily you would laugh out loud at a gesture like that in a lot of other movies. And for some reason, like they actually work here and they shouldn't. I
0: actually met the guy that designed these suits uh, uh, a few years ago as part of a a thing I was doing for Engadget, and
1: um, I thought you were going to say as part of an S and M conference.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, like this this is uh, a total like a totally made up kind of suit, and there's like a bunch of different versions of it in this movie. But that that mask and helmet shape, like this movie made that iconic. It's not uh, it, it didn't exist before this film. And was it
2: made for movies, Ben? Because one of the questions I had was, was yeah. like, how difficult it's got to be to shoot a mask that is angled in that way and not get light reflection or crew reflection in it?
0: Uh, yeah, this the, it was made for this movie and it's been used uh, several times as the design since. Like if you wow. if you look up like level four biohazard suits, like I think like the blue one and the and the yellow one are based on. Like two different versions of that. Um, one thing I read that uh, this movie gets wrong is that they tend to be like internally pressurized, so that like if if you do get a tear, the the pressure is blowing out, so that mm. so that nothing nothing would get in. Like the, the tear scenes in in this movie uh, get it totally wrong in terms of like what would realistically happen. But also the the helmet part is usually just kind of like a bubble of clear mylar or whatever and 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 doesn't look nearly as cool you know
2: you can i'm not seeing the suit from the movie but uh there's really a level four suit for all budgets <laughs> <here>. <laughs> how, how,
1: what's the how, what's the cheapest we could get into a level four biohazard suit
2: i mean i'm seeing a suit for 150 bucks i'm seeing a suit for five thousand bucks wow
1: well, wow, which one? Where are you going to cut corners?
2: Granger Industrial <laughs> Supply will hook you up. Now, that's a free plug for the official no. <laughs> industrial supply store, Friendly Fire Granger. Yeah.
0: Well, I've been I've you been know. meaning to suggest that we get some of these for the uh, for the meet and greet after our live shows. You know, just just yeah. to make sure you don't get sick from shaking all
1: those hands. Yeah, Adam Adam is always careful to walk up behind me after a uh, after a meet and greet and whisper go wash your hands. But I, I forgot to do it <laughs> that the other day. That made you I, so I,
2: mad the first time I said it to you. You were like, "What the fuck are you talking about, idiot?"
1: <laughs> but then 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 I understood and then then every subsequent time I'm like, "Thank you. Thank you." But yeah. I didn't do it. You didn't say it after the after the big concert the other night and I I shook 500 hands and kissed 40 babies. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I, then I immediately ate dim sum with my fingers and fried chicken, and I'm just—I'm I'm not sure in the I'm band. In, That's the difference. I'm, I'm incubating something terrible right now. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: And you just got on an airplane, so you just—you just, you just subjected yeah. three hundred innocent civilians to whatever that is.
2: Did you give your cookie to a little kid cowboy?
1: I went around licking everyone's noses while they slept. <laughs>
2: John, did they really fly 747s from Boston to uh, to L.A. in 1995? In 1995? I mean, there was a time when they would have, but I don't know if, ni- I don't know, so late. That was just a golden age of flying right there. You could go Transcon on a 4.7, and also, if you're Jimbo, to have two empty seats next to you, <laughs> I won the seat lottery.
1: Well, in 95, you definitely often had two empty seats next to you. Uh, because gas nice. was cheap and they were just burning it just just to get it off the planet. You know what I mean? They were like, "We got too much <laughs> gas. Let's burn some <laughs> of this." Yeah, fly a fly a one-third full four-seven across the country. There are some good airplanes in this movie. I I was very impressed that in the opening scene, the um the village of Zaire was it was uh, fire bombed by a DC three or C forty-seven, which seemed very, it seemed like. They went the extra mile to find the plane that would likely have done that work yeah. at that point in time, rather than just throw in a C-130, yeah. which would have been we all would have accepted that. They they
0: went the extra mile on that, but then the the Archangel that they show later, the plane with the giant uh, satellite dish thing on top, is like one of the worst comps I've ever seen in a major motion picture
2: especially cuz they showed it for like 3 seconds that AWACS plane.
0: Yeah, didn't
2: yeah. even need to be in the movie. <laughs>
0: it's so bad looking. <laughs> it's a real airplane. They could have they could have uh, gotten real footage of one probably, but they didn't. <laughs> oh, they got I see like what you're saying. They, they just they <laughs> just like uh they just like trimmed around the uh the photograph of it on like a postcard and and superimposed it over <laughs> a moving background. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that true? Could you see the... Uh, was the radome not rotating? It looked really bad. Whatever they did just just looked like hot garbage. You're right, Adam. Yeah. That absolutely did not need to be there at all. Because, oh, also, that helicopter chase, which, which fully belonged in a Rambo 3 movie...
2: It could have been in any <laughs> of the Rambo 3 movies.
1: It could have been in any movie except this one. Like, uh, this is on a list of 500 movies where there needed to be a helicopter chase where Dustin Hoffman right. is being chased by Donald Sutherland in like fully armed helicopters in Northern California. There are so many other movies where that would still have been a bad idea.
0: The idea of also like shooting some ordnance into the trees to start a fire to make them think that, think that the, uh, that the H six went down is, uh, you know, like that's, a. Uh, California has a big fire problem. That's like a forest fire is uh, is not a great way to escape the uh, <laughs> the evil <laughs> lieutenant general.
2: I think that's a needs of the many decision made right there. Yeah. They're going to burn down 10 towns. It's an interesting example of a film and a story that might not have the confidence of its convictions in terms of how exciting a viral outbreak story might be. Like how do you Make it even more exciting. I guess we throw in a helicopter chase. Can we do that? Right. <laughs> like, I felt like the I felt like the, the movie was breathless enough without it. Yeah. It, it's almost as if the helicopter chase uh, was less exciting than anything else. It really was. The helicopter chase was like, can we get back to the place where all the people are
1: bleeding out of their eyes, please? Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you're really making a thriller about a viral infection... The danger has to be the, like, omnipresent danger that it's going to get out, and once it's out, it won't be able to be contained. Right. The movie establishes that. Okay, you know, we've arrested it in all these other places. We put out all these other fires, but this one little town, because of the because a centrifuge exploded in a guy's face, this little town has gone bonkers, and we have to cordon it off. But the real threat remains that any one of these hillbillies gets out of there and goes down to the mall and starts sneezing on people. <laughs> oh man, he sells—he sells like five
0: pounds of brick weed to somebody that's heading to the Bay Area, and then a bunch of yeah. uh, a bunch of teenagers that went to my high school get get sick from smoking it.
1: That's the movie I want to see.
2: That's a punch up right there, big time.
1: <laughs> but like, if they don't, if they don't nuke this town, right? If they just cordoned it off and had all the soldiers step on the other side of the barbed wire and just stand there for two days,
0: yeah, just let the disease run its course.
1: Yeah, and then it's neutralized, right? I mean, the people are dying so fast from this thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could still set the town on fire after that,
1: right? But like any other, uh, any other motion isn't necessary. And in fact, if Donald Sutherland is trying to get a super bug, he should also be collecting the airborne version of this super bug. Like this is a great, this is a super good petri dish for his project.
0: Yeah, I would have loved to get a little bit more of the strategy of uh, biological weapon stuff out of him because, because like. I I was wondering like do you not want the airborne because it's too hard to control like is there is there an element of this where it's actually a good to have have like a known transmission pattern and and like it it kills super quickly it it like rips through a population and then it's over and if it's an airborne right. thing then maybe it like crosses an international boundary that you don't want it to cross and creates other you know ancillary problems that you would otherwise like to avoid
1: you're absolutely right like that is the that is the one minute long conversation in this film that makes it that makes all of that a better movie because there there is a version of this movie what it's the it's this thing we talk about quite a bit like if the if you switched the um, the themes around and you played the hero music under Donald Sutherland and you played the villain music <laughs> under uh under Dustin Hoffman uh, he's
0: trying to he's trying to take our weapon out of our arsenal
1: what's wrong with him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Donald Sutherland is working for someone at the Pentagon right he's not he didn't invent this when we see him in Zaire uh, in the early 70s he's what a captain yeah he's not a two-star general at that point no, he's working for somebody and th- and his entire career he's been working for somebody. This is part of a government run program. This is I mean and all of that uh, all of that's really interesting and there I I remember at at one point watching the at one point in the movie I definitely said like oh Donald Sutherland was just doing his job. Yeah. Um are we indicting the American biological warfare program? Shouldn't we not just put that all on one crazy dude's shoulders? Like, we should talk about that. <laughs> we should talk about that like it's a real thing, because it is. Have a little plausible deniability. Yeah, it's not just one rogue general. Yeah. Now your revisionist historians are saying he just dropped that bomb to scare the Russians. Come on, give me
0: a break. The nuclear arsenal engenders a kind of uh, government hierarchy that is now, like, like, impossible to dismantle because you need a bunch of, like, interlocking... Uh, you know, departments and you know people that report to people in order to manage something as devastating and dangerous as as that, And I guess you would have to have a similar level of thing for a a biological weapon, right? Like the amount of people that have to be in on the conspiracy is actually like extremely big. Maybe, like, the the hardest part of the movie to accept is that Dustin Hoffman could live right next door to all of that going on and be completely oblivious to it.
2: Well, I mean, he's got other things on his mind, like the disillusion of his marriage. Sure. Giving his dog a bath.
1: Boy, yes. Mike, come
2: on. Like the slideshow of the virus spread timeline that Donald Sutherland's character presents to the Joint Chiefs. My rating systems on Friendly Fire are designed to confuse and horrify... <laughs> and it's that time where uh, I must give Outbreak its own custom rating system. I teased this a little earlier with my film paper, but I just can't get over this quiet, white, bucolic town with the churches and the pickup trucks and the weed. You know, there's the weed and the picket fences. I mean, this is like, this is. Cribbing from the Michael Bay playbook right here There's a lot of shared DNA between this and a Michael Bay movie, I think Wouldn't have thought that before watching it So from one to five pickets, we will be reviewing Outbreak Things I really liked about it were its pacing The Wolfgang Peterson wearing the spurs Kicking this film horse into gear are evident It is a really breathless two hours I love that part of it 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 manages to maintain some excitement even though the script tries to kill the speed of this thing whenever possible by injecting the relationship of the Hoffman and Russo character into it it just interrupts it in a way I don't need and John had many examples of the other directions this film could have taken in order to to maintain the kind of frenetic feeling that I feel like this film could have and should have had instead. But it made me feel nostalgic for films like The Fugitive. It really felt so much like that film in a fun way. Those films of of between 1995 and 1997 are really special to me personally, and I think it's because all of them felt the way this one did. You uh, don't often get a film with as stacked of a cast as this has. It's crazy. Like, The one to six actors on the call sheet here are nuts and (laughs) I really liked seeing them even I even liked seeing Kevin Spacey in this film as much of a monster as he is like he is really an actor of his time and it really puts you back into the 1995-ness of this thing it's also nice to see him die of hemorrhagic fever you know yeah that feels good (laughs) (laughs) the actors are so much better than their material though and that's the tension in me when it's time to give this film a review as a pork chop film I feel like this gets a higher rating than it ordinarily would as just a film and I know we can't divide the reviews that way but I just want to say like as a pork chop I would be more inclined to give this a higher score than what I would give it if it were a mainline friendly fire film it is a pork chop film I have to rate it that way it's gonna be 3.9 pickets it's just leaving it's leaving too much space between the holes in the fence get those pickets closer together tighten up the (laughs) script there's something good here and that's what makes it so frustrating Wow man I'm gonna I I like your score Adam I'm gonna give it 3.9 pickets
0: as well Wow this is a movie that I always like watching, even though I agree with a lot of what you guys said about areas where it is it, uh, it is it is weak unnecessarily. So this is always a fun one for me to return to. And it definitely like awoke in me in in young Ben, the uh, the interest in seeing people go into places in hazmat suits in movies like always there for this 100 percent of the time. I love it.
2: You have a hazmat suit in your nightstand, don't you?
1: <laughs> His wife makes him wear it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, a listener to The Greatest Generation sent me a hazmat suit one time. I think it was actually Plavim that sent it. Uh, and uh, I, It's like, I love ha- that I have it, but I also don't know what to do with it. So
2: You love the way it feels against your naked skin? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I love pressurizing it and checking it for tears.
1: Nobody ever fogged up their windscreen once. In all the yeah. like hyperventilating, everybody's panting, running around in these things. Nobody Salt ever got a fogged. Salt barfed in windscreen. his
2: though. Yeah, he did. That was pretty gross. Ah, oh, that was so gnarly. It was just
0: a little little mouthful of soup barf though. It wasn't a full barf, mm-hmm. right? It was. He didn't yeah, like chunder in his helmet.
1: No, he didn't spray the screen. He should have just you know barfed down into his. He should
2: have gone full the abyss and and filled up his entire mask with a rising level of vomit.
0: (laughs) And then he panics for a bit and then realizes that he can breathe normally. Yeah, he can breathe. He can breathe under vomit.
1: (laughs) Highly oxygenated vomit. (laughs) Well, I did not see this movie in theaters. Uh, This was an era for me, mid-90s, where... I was, was I still on drugs when this came out? No, this was just post uh, me being on drugs, but I didn't have any money. But also I was naturally suspicious of this kind of stacked cast uh, post golden age Hollywood thriller. I didn't see the one about, I never saw independence day. I never saw uh the one about the tornadoes i didn't see the one about the dinosaurs they all felt like well basically they felt like they were made for 12 year old adam and mm-hmm. not for 22 year old john who was busy <laughs> you know like seeing boobs and stuff
2: yeah you saw a boob around that time john
1: you know what we were swimming <laughs> she jumped into the she jumped off the high dive I saw our boob for a second it's fun to see boobs. Um I'm I'm recording from Hawaii and uh and there's a chicken here now who's joined me here on the on the porch. Oh, I don't know cool. if you can hear her, but she's this little hen is walking around trying to see if there's any cat food that she here, would you like a little piece of bread, little hen? Here. Quack, quack, quack. <laughs> chik, 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 chik. We, we don't normally
0: have guests on the show but uh but today we do yeah, chik, 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 chik. a very special donors only episode of friendly fire
1: i think the rooster has a new girlfriend and she is this this hen is kind of a little bit she's feeling out um so i so i don't have any nostalgia about it and i don't have any nostalgia about that particular era because i felt like it was a low era and i and what's I'm going to both sides myself right now. Whoa. Because I, I do feel like the tendency of contemporary thrillers to not have any thing fun about them, to just go from one disaster to another where everyone looks grim all the time. And there is no, there's not a wisecracking character, let alone like five wisecracking characters like this movie has. There's so much freaking wisecracking in this movie, and it, they could have dialed it down twenty five percent and still had more than they needed, but but modern thrillers don't have enough wisecracking. You know, the wisecracking mm. person in modern thrillers is all always ends up being the bad guy, right? The snarky yeah. guy that turns out is the traitor.
2: We remove the Rickles from modern films.
1: Yeah, it's too bad. And we get Cuba Gooding Jr. wisecracking. We get Kevin Spacey wisecracking. We get the lead, the two lead characters. Cracking wise. Even the dog gets a little moment where it you know it cracks wise. Yeah, they're
2: all soapy and up on the couch. Oh, which one of you which
1: one of you did that first? Was it you, Lewis? Or whatever. Come on. (laughs) But there is some of that missing in modern films. Um But for all the reasons that I said, I think that this movie is it's cool because of how it resonates right now with what's going on, and I think that will continue to it will continue to resonate in that way. But I don't think it's more than a a three-picket it movie. It's it's fun as a little bit of a time capsule and it's certainly fun there's a good movie in the middle of it that that if you let your imagination wander, I think you can watch this movie and then sit and think about it and have interesting thoughts. So that's that's in its favor.
2: In that way it's not an empty effort here to watch no
1: no it's not a it's not bad you know but i feel like the difference between that that 0.9 picket that you guys give it that i that i reserve is the 0.9 picket of sort of you know sentimentality or or nostalgia for something that feels more that you're more nostalgic for than i am
2: i mean that's one of the reasons the rating system is pickets It's that nostalgic feeling for a bygone era. For the TV show Picket Fences. Hmm. Yeah.
0: It's been fun reviewing this one with you guys. Um, This is a good pork chopper.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I I don't regret seeing it, certainly, though we did spend a lot of time capping on it.
1: I don't think it really belongs on Friendly Fire. It's it's, It's not close enough to a war movie. Well,
2: that's what the pork chop feed is for, baby.
1: Well, I know, but I feel like there are a lot of movies that are war, more war adjacent. When mm. you've
2: got Dale Die in your movie, I think you're, you're grandfathered in. Yeah, you're Dye. covered. All right.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. It's Dale the Dale Dye, Dye, Dye rule. He puts it. He puts it over the top, and I'm willing right now to sign off on a Dale Die rule.
0: You're adding the little, the little, uh, little weights to the to the side of the scale that you know make it eligible. The Dale Die weight is like a fucking brick
1: right it is it is if he's playing a military character and i don't know if he's ever been in a movie where he wasn't yeah interesting to see him like the character that gets shamed
0: a lot in this movie like he almost never plays that and and i i thought he did a really good job like we've seen him get like too much for his skill level in terms of like an acting role before and this felt like uh it was like he was like punching a little bit above his weight class in the way he performed it.
2: Guys, Dale Dye is in Sergeant Bilko, uh, which I certainly hope <laughs> oh, is on our sure. movie
1: list. For sure it is.
2: <laughs> that movie's great.
1: But yeah, he even, Dale Dye gets a, gets a laugh moment in this, or he gets, a, he gets a schadenfreude moment. When he gets the little grin on his
0: face when he's uh, taking Donald Sutherland into custody. That's great. Mm-hmm. You'll to see it. I'd love to know who your guy is, Ben. Who's your guy? Miss Pananides at the uh, at the uh, Federal <laughs> Building. She's the lady that uh, yeah. has a has a friend at the oh, at the Coast Guard. Miss <laughs> Pananides can get it. She really can. <laughs> why is she Why is she your guy? Because she can get it. Yeah, word. <laughs> uh, who's your guy, John?
1: Uh, my guy for sure is mullet dad with the with the bronco um oh man three... that guy looked exactly like keith the guy that coached
0: my hockey team when i was a kid
1: yeah he looked like the guy in uh, office space who lives next door who's like hey man come on over and have some have a little bit of wine or whatever whatever guy that was but you know like the the three hicks who are like we're busting out of here in their in their pickup He's like drug dealer hick dad. <laughs> and these guys I'm sure like the 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 dudes in in the truck are are dudes that he knows. They're like buddies. And he trusts them and he's like, "Okay, you know, like I'm following you guys." And he follows them across a field and a helicopter comes down and the dudes are like, "Oh, they're just bluffing, man." And then they get totally like gatling gunned into an explosion (laughs) you know like they the, the his buddies are ripped apart and then burned alive and uh it's like then he's sitting there with his family and i just i was so with him in that moment like okay you made a bad decision and now your daughter is like She's, totally She's gonna be in therapy like for the rest of her life. <laughs> she is she's cowering under your arm. And let me tell you, sir, the the soldiers all around you do not care that she's eight years old. They are one second away from machine gunning the shit out of you. And uh, you know, and your stupid ass hick Bronco. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I was like, I am with that guy. I really am. And I and I could I could see myself in that situation. I could, you know, like like my my three hick buddies are like we're making a hole. Yeah.
2: And I'm like I'm right behind you. <laughs> John, you and I Florida are on the th- on the exact same wavelength because uh, I also <laughs> chose. I had a hard time choosing between Bronco driver and pickup truck driver. It's a mm-hmm. uh, it's pickup truck driver that gets blown away with his hick friends. It's it's Bobby in the Bronco with his family watching from behind. I don't know whether I'm the leader or the follower, but I know I want out of that town and I would be desperate to do it. And uh I mean, if you left with your hick friends, I would I'd pack my wife into our Bronco and we'd probably <laughs> drive through an entire wooden barn to get out of there as I looked on in horror as a as a Huey destroyed your pickup. I would avenge you, John, I promise. Avenge me. <laughs> uh, one of the scenes that that films of this kind give us all the time, and this film full on refused, was the scene before this one, where where Bobby the Hick was like, "I'm not gonna fucking stay in this goddamn town one second longer." <laughs> Come on, Diane. Like like you never see the argument that they that you know they have at home before loading up the family truckster and and peeling out I wanted that moment
1: right wow a lot of fun
2: Bobby you're so stupid
1: (laughs) you're gonna get us killed she never gave him any shit for that I mean later on boy you know he heard about it (laughs) The rest of his freaking marriage, he heard about it.
2: <laughs> you know, maybe this movie should be more about marriages. Give us, give us the Bobby relationship. <laughs> oh, Bobby, should we, should we get in the Bronco and run from the army?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Your stupid militia friends are going to get killed in five seconds out there, Bobby. <laughs> You've been busting my balls about that for twenty-five years. <laughs> Why even have an AR-15 if you're not willing to use it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like making podcasts with you guys It's fun <laughs> Well, uh, thanks again to everybody That supports the show I think uh, we should probably wrap it up, right?
2: Yeah, gotta do that This one's over The uh, The virus of our episode has been contained
0: Yeah, thank goodness We don't want this getting out uh, For John Roderick and Adam Pranica I've been Ben Harrison To the victor go the spoiler alerts Take it away, Robs. Friendly Fire's
2: Pork Chop Feed is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Ben Harrison, Adam Pranica, and John Roderick. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our logo art is by Nick Dittmore our theme music is war by edwin Starr, courtesy of stone agate music make sure to use the hashtag friendly fire when posting about the show on social media you can find ben on twitter at benjamin ahr adam is at cut for time john is at john roderick and i am at rob k schulte thanks so much for supporting friendly fire tell a friend we'll see you next month with another pork chop film
0: fun.org
2: Comedy and Culture
0: Artist-don't
2: Audience-supported